0: Uh, I've got my coffee here, but I really should have something stronger in this cup. As should we all. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dan. This is the Field Goals Podcast, and this is my rapid reaction to the Seahawks' 30-24 loss today at home to the Carolina Panthers as they get swept by the NFC South, a division where every team has a losing record, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 6-7. and seven lead the division uh welcome back everybody i am dan v and uh i'll try to keep it together today you know me if you've listened to the show before seen the live feeds i try to keep everything as cool as possible i try to keep everything as rational and logical as i can it's tougher sometimes than others when emotions get involved right Today's one of those days and and you know we've talked about it at an increasing frequency recently because of the change in expectations with this team as they've just simply outperformed any of our wildest dreams talked about it with Jackson a couple of weeks ago with Dana and Keith and Bill just just a few nights ago as well if you caught that show and it doesn't take much for those expectations to start to cloud your perception of who you think your team is. Um, but I think the last couple of weeks, the last three weeks, really, actually, you know what? Let's go back four weeks to the Tampa Bay game. We we can now see that that four-week stretch where the defense performed really well was an anomaly. Maybe a combination of just some scheme changes that teams weren't prepared for, and also playing against some teams with offenses that just weren't, really able to take advantage of what the Seahawks weaknesses are on defense. And we're going to talk about those weaknesses in a few minutes. And if you watch the game today, you know exactly what they are. Uh, but this team is who it is. Um, still young, still a roster with some, some gaping holes in it. Um, but yet they compete week in and week out and, and are still hanging in there with a chance to make the playoffs um, when nobody expected them to because they also do some things pretty well. And so it's just going to be like this. <laughs> and, and what this game reminds me of is, well, first of all, it's very typical of the NFL. 30-24 to 24 looks like a close game, really wasn't. Carolina pretty much had this thing in hand from start to finish. And I'll recap that in a minute and then get into my overall thoughts. But this game really exemplified what we see in the NFL on a week-in, week-out basis. That it's not, and I've been saying this for years, but it it, it applies to this team as much as any uh, I think we've seen in recent memory. It's not so much how good you are, it's how well you play. And week in, week out, there's so much parity in this league. And I know that word gets tossed around a lot. But look at the standings right now and ask yourself, how many teams there are in this league that that you think are really hard to beat? Legitimate, hands-down, unquestioned Super Bowl contenders. It's a handful. You can count them on one hand. But also, how many teams are just terrible? You can just chalk up a win when you see them on the schedule. I think that number's zero. Houston Texans? Okay. Houston Texans went toe for toe? for Toe, toe to toe today. Punch for punch with the Dallas Cowboys who've been right up there with the Philadelphia Eagles as the best team in the NFC over the last six weeks. So what we saw a few weeks ago in Los Angeles against a good Chargers team where the Seahawks jumped out to that huge lead right off the bat. It changes the game, changes game plans. It gives you a lot more margin for error. And they really controlled that game from the snap, even though there were some times when the Chargers tried to get back in that thing. Uh, we were on the other end of one of those today. Carolina jumped out on this thing uh, quick. They started out with the football. Seahawks won the toss and defer, as they always do. Carolina jumps out to a 3 nothing lead after a, just a kind of a, to what to me was a sort of a promising first drive for them. It took them 13 plays to go 43 yards. They converted a couple third downs. That's going to continue to be an issue against the Seahawks. But really this the Seahawks bottled up the run. Carolina kept trying to pound it up the middle with Deonta Foreman. Really wasn't working. But they hit a couple of underneath routes. They were they were finding some some traction that way. They get a field goal out of it, go up three-nothing. Okay. To me that's a win. And then the Seahawks get the ball on offense. And on the first offensive play that they run Gino throws maybe his worst interception of the year. One of his worst. Thought he had Tyler Lockett open, uh, but J.C. Horn, the second-year corner, uh, who missed most of his rookie year with injury, but really looks like a, a guy uh, on the verge of of being in that elite category. Um, and they have another great young first-round draft pick on the other side, and C.J. Henderson, too, and the two of those guys – really show their talent today but horn made just made it a spectacular play i mean when you saw it happen live on television anyway on the television angle when you can't you know when the camera follows the ball it just looked like gino threw it right to him but when you see the replay jc came off of his man and went to make the play it's a great play by him but a play that gino would like to have back one of his worst interceptions of the year for sure So the Panthers get the ball on the 13-yard line. They run another one of those little drag underneath routes. Sam Darnold, touchdown pass to Shai Smith. It's 10-0, six and a half minutes into the game. Just like that. And even though you're thinking, oh, geez, it's going to be one of these games, right? It's still not insurmountable. We've seen time and time and time again this year, Gino bounce back from bad plays, bounce back from fumbles, interceptions. Uh, he didn't this time, not right off the bat anyway. Seahawks go five plays, and then they have to punt. Carolina goes 12 plays, 74 yards, scores again to make it 17 nothing. And from this point on, I wasn't on Twitter much today. I didn't go to the stadium today. I'm a little banged up, might have to go on the disabled list for, for a minute. Um, Watched it from the comfort of my own home and realized right away, when it got to 17 nothing, I better stay off Twitter. Because the sky was suddenly falling. Everything was bad. (laughs) Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Fire Pete Carroll. This team is trash. Man, some of y'all fans and your overreactions. Um, It's pretty comical. I just didn't want to deal with it today. Uh, But the Hawks do respond after that. Little by little, start chipping away. Seven plays, 67 yards. Geno Smith to Tyler Lockett for his sixth touchdown reception, uh, six straight game with a touchdown reception. That is a franchise record. And it was textbook Tyler Lockett. It was vintage Tyler Lockett. Has to be Nate Burleson's toe drag swag winner this week. Looks like a ball that's overthrown. Kind of reminiscent of that Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett uh, touchdown pass a couple years ago against the Rams in the in the action green. Um, where it looked like he's throwing the football away and Tyler made a way found a way to make the catch and get his toes in. Very similar today makes it 17 to 7. Then the Seahawks defense stands up and forces a three and out and now you start to feel like okay, okay we can get back into this. But then a couple of plays later on the next drive Gino throws another interception. This one I'm I'm gonna give him a pass on Well, a partial pass. Give him a 70% pass on this one because it looked like it was a free play. Carolina jumped. Two of their guys were in the neutral zone when the ball was snapped. Gino, I think, correctly assumed that it was a free play and just threw it up in DK Metcalf's direction, uh, hoping DK can make a play, and it got picked off. And there was no flag in the play. Pete Carroll argued like crazy. Gino argued like crazy, but at the end of the day, it was an interception, another turnover early. This one was from CJ Henderson, the other young corner that the Panthers have. Carolina gets a field goal out of that to make it 20 to seven. But the Seahawks held him at 20 until the fourth quarter. And this game did start to turn. Panthers didn't score again until 657 into the fourth quarter. And the Seahawks started to claw their way back. Um and 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 a lot of that was Geno Smith. Sorry, I got a little distracted by my own notes. <laughs> um, you know, they worked their way back into it, got it to a one-score game. Uh Gino threw another touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. And he and he mostly played well, but I'll get to that in a second. After that, the 657 mark of the fourth quarter, Carolina 10 plays. 74 yards. They score again to make it 27 to seven. And on that, on that drive, eight of those ten plays, running plays, up the gut. Deonta Foreman, Chubba Hubbard. They even threw a rookie in there. And at this point, the Seahawks defensive front was gashed. Found out shortly before the game, Shelby Harris wasn't going to play because of the flu. That's a big loss right off the bat. But again, that that first the first couple of drives, the defensive front looks like they held up pretty well against a good offensive line for the Panthers. But then Al Woods had to leave. Uh, I can't remember the injury now. Ankle, maybe. And he was good early on. He made some plays. He was he was filling gaps and stuff in the run. Um, and for most of that 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 part, the second, third period also, we saw a little bit more from the pass rush come back again. We saw a couple of plays out of Daryl Taylor today that we haven't seen in a while two consecutive back-to-back plays where he forced Darnold to have to scramble and, and, and that messed up a play. And then the next one, the kind of play we thought we were going to see more from Daryl Taylor this year that we saw last year, we just flat out beat the right tackle off the edge and just beat him with a dip move and got the sack. Uh, Bruce Irvin had another sack on a, on a defensive stand. Um, And it looked like, okay, here we go. But then the Panthers run it down their throats to make it twenty-seven to seven. Next drive, same thing. They get it right back. Seahawks score a late touchdown with sixteen seconds to make it thirty to twenty-four. Carolina just kind of in a prevent defense. Seattle goes six plays, seventy-five yards, uh, touchdown to Marquise Goodwin. Sixteen seconds. They try the onside kick, and it was over. So thirty to twenty-four score. This is one of those classic games where the score made it look closer than it was. It it Carolina really had this game in hand the whole way. There were opportunities within the second and third quarter for the Seahawks to get back. Um opening drive, you know, they're only down six at halftime and they get the ball to start the second half. Um, would have been a chance for them to go down and get a touchdown and take the lead, and they, they couldn't get it done there. Um, and we'll talk about why in just a second. But first let's let's talk about the positives, okay? Uh wide receivers again were really good, even on a on a a tough day for Geno Smith. Um, mostly tough day. And he really spread it around. DK, five catches, 71 yards and a touchdown. Tyler, five catches, 60 yards and a touchdown. And that beautiful uh, toe drag catch in the back of the end zone. Marquise Goodwin, again, contributing. Five catches, 95 yards and that late touchdown. Uh, the receivers were good today. Thought the pass protection was mostly good. And, and guys, let's talk about this. The assumption was that Carolina was going to be an easy game. Uh, except for those of you who roll out of bed cynical every day, and I saw a lot of this on Twitter this week. Seahawks always play poorly against bad teams. They always let bad teams hang around. Uh, this Carolina team had a lot of, has a lot of talent, especially on defense. This team at the beginning of the year had playoff hopes. And uh, things just didn't go well with their quarterback situation. Baker Mayfield didn't work out. Sam Darnold got hurt. Um... They decide to trade Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson, but on defense, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, who everybody was trying to trade for at the deadline. Frankie Luvu, the former Coug had maybe one of the best games of his career today. It was all over the place. Those two corners, CJ Henderson, JC Horn, the safety, Jeremy chin, love him, loved him coming out a couple of years ago, probably mock drafted him to the Seahawks a ton that year. Shaq Thompson. And, uh, Everyone's favorite Seahawks first-round draft pick mock uh, selection last year, Yatur Gross-Matos, the big defensive end out of Penn State. Forgot he was on that roster until today. Uh, there's a lot of t- talent on defense there, and they've been playing well. And then they've they found something in the running game, the power running game after they trade McCaffrey away. Um, and that's been their formula. They've now won four out of seven. Carolina's a game out of first place in their division now. They have a chance to make the playoffs with uh, – how badly Tampa Bay is struggling. So a pretty good defense and that offensive line held up really well. Didn't hear Brian Burns name hardly at all. Two tackles and a half a sack matched up a lot against Charles cross. Kept my eye on that matchup. Cross did a really nice job against him. Brian Burns was not a factor. Uh, You know, Gino took three sacks. I don't think any of them were really egregious. There was one, I recall, he he should have done a better job of trying to get rid of the ball. But on the other two, I think he was just trying to protect the football. But there were also a couple of plays he made today uh, hanging in there against all-out blitzes and uh, made some plays. Offensive, I thought pass protection held it pretty well. Especially considering Seahawks can't run the football. More on that in a second. And even though it was one of Gino's poorest games of the year. He's the reason the Seahawks even had a chance to win this thing. The reason they only lost by six, the reason that there were a couple of times they had a chance to take a lead or or keep the game uh, to a one score game. Uh, 21 out of 36, 264 yards. He had the two interceptions or I'll say he had the one and a half interceptions, uh, uh, three touchdowns, passer rating of 85.9. That's only the fourth time this year that his passer rating for the game has been under 100, that's how good he's been. First one since October 16th versus Arizona. That's how consistent he's been. I'll say this. Two things about Gino's performance today. If this was his worst game, and it felt like about as bad as he can play, uh, you're in good shape if that's the case. Because he still made plays when when we needed to late in the game, still had hope of a comeback. Um, And the other thing is he's getting no help. Man, he's getting no help. This running game is non-existent. Uh, it was starting to struggle even with Kenneth Walker. I, I don't know if that's a blocking scheme thing or an execution thing or just a, a talent thing with Austin Blythe just being overwhelmed at the pivot at times and Gabe Jackson struggling. I don't know. I'm not uh, astute enough in the X's and O's of uh, run blocking schemes to know whether that's an issue. Uh, that might be a good... Uh, I should have someone on the show that that is comfortable talking about that kind of stuff because I'd like I'd like to know a little more about that. Um, but when when Travis Homer's your lead back, um, and and your two backups are Tony Jones Jr. and Godwin Iguabuike, who by the way had two of the best kickoff returns we've seen from anyone in a Seahawks uniform in in a couple of years, and um, really keyed them uh, in the second half on that first field goal drive had a big return, and, and uh, that was nice to see. That's something that's really been lacking from Seattle special teams. Um, but there's no running game at all. Not at all. Seahawks ran for 46 yards today, total. Um, so Geno's just having to do everything. Too much of it's on his shoulders. Now it's on him with the early mistake that we had to dig ourselves out of a hole. Um, And, and maybe some of that is on... Shane Waldron too. Maybe when you, when you know, you don't have a running game and you know, the other team knows that maybe try not to get so aggressive going down the field. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe fashion your your initial script to be a little more quarterback friendly. I don't know. Or maybe it was just a great play by JC Horn, but that really dug a hole that it was hard for him to get out of, but I thought Gino overall played mostly well, but he's being asked to do it all. Um, and there's another way you can help him out too. I don't know why. I wish someone could explain to me why the Seahawks have been so bad in the screen game for so long. Doesn't matter who the coordinator is. Doesn't matter who the quarterback is, who the running back is. They tried. I thought they were tried to throw more screen passes today than we're used to seeing. So the idea was there, but the execution is just god-awful. Tried a couple screens to Noah Fant. It's not just that, you know, Geno's getting the screen out and it's getting blown up. He's not even able to to get the ball to the receiver because it's not open. It just seems to be a a chink in the armor there in designing those screens. And what's frustrating and what makes it so baffling is we see other teams do it week in, week out just watch the red zone channel for a half an hour and you'll see 10 really well run screenplays from other teams, bad teams too. Um, so that was tough. Um, talked about, I guess if you're going to hand out some superlatives on the defensive side, saw some flash plays from Daryl Taylor. We've seen more of that the last couple of weeks. Um, I still think you know, we were hoping coming into this year he could be a keystone player and a guy that could really impact the defense. What we're seeing from Uchenna Nwosu is kind of what we had hoped and thought we might see from Daryl Taylor. At this point, as we look ahead to what this defense is going to look like in years to come, and it's certainly going to be a focal point in the off the offseason, right? Uh, he looks like a rotational player. Um, Now let's talk about the bad stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about the ugly shit. Um, they just can't stop the run; they just can't. And, and like I mentioned earlier, that that four games where it appeared they were maybe we just played teams that played teams at the right time. Uh, because it's so easy to run against this team, two hundred and twenty-three yards on the ground. And what makes it even more frustrating is you come into this game. It's similar to the Raiders game. You come into this game, you're facing Sam Darnold, making only a second start of the year. You're facing a team that doesn't have any dynamic weapons on the outside. DJ Moore is a nice player, but he was shut out today. Seahawks took care of him. Zero catches. They've done a nice job running the football, but you know coming in, that's what they're going to do. They're going to try and impose their will on you. And they couldn't, they couldn't affect that. They couldn't slow it down. Really disappointing. Um, and here's another thing, you know, I, I say this all the time. I'll say it again. I'm not, I'm not a real X and O guy. I'm not a guy who coached. I didn't play the game at a high level. And so I just, when I make observations, they're just based on a lifetime of watching football and what I see work for other teams and what I, what I think should be able to work with the personnel that we have, um, Guy in my Twitter feed today that is a high school football coach said, Clint Hurt needs to go, needs to be fired, needs to be one and done. He can't get it done. And my answer was, he doesn't have the horses. He has no talent in that front seven other than Nuosu and Jordan Brooks and maybe Shelby Harris on a good day. He doesn't have guys that affect the line of scrimmage that you have to game plan for on the other side of the ball that, that are a problem. And he said, well, talent can hide some things, but there, and he went into a bunch of He went into a bunch of X and O language stuff. Basically that assignments and techniques aren't being properly taught and executed. And that's on the coach. Okay. But is it all Clint hurt? Because Pete Carroll's the guy. And he brought in Sean Desai, one of the most respected young defensive minds in in the league. And he brought in Carl Scott, one of the most respected secondary coaches in the league. Like, I just, have always felt like it's, it's lazy analysis to just blame the guy with the title but I don't know if it's Clint Hurt's fault and it was Ken Norton jr's fault and it was I'm blanking on the name the guy before him that uh, the defensive backs coach that came with Carroll from USC anyway then if it's three of those guys in a row now then isn't it Pete Carroll Um, or could it be that they don't have the talent on defense that they need to, to run what they want to run. Or, to this guy's point, to hide stuff. Okay, he kind of made my point for me, didn't he? If having a couple of, oh, I don't know, let's say four of the top 60 picks or 55 or 50 picks in the next draft on defense, add that much volume and quality of talent to that defense, can't that help even if, They happen to be running a scheme that you don't think is effective. Yeah, we just don't have guys that are hard to block. We just don't. And it makes it really, really tough. And at the end of this game, Carolina just gouged the Seahawks. And it wasn't a Josh Jacobs-type performance. Hubbard, 74 yards. Foreman, 74 yards. Raheem Blackshear came in, rookie that they picked off a practice squad, came in on the the second-to-the-last drive when the Seahawks' defense was just gas. You could see it in their eyes. They were done. This kid had fresh legs. He went four carries for 32 yards. He scored the touchdown. They just they just imposed their will and and took control of this game. They played the game in the fourth quarter the way Pete Carroll wants to play the game. He loves. He's involved in the sense that he loves what's happening with the offense right now and with Geno Smith. He loves early down passing. He loves throwing the football early in the game. But in the fourth quarter, he wants to be able to do what the Panthers did today and put games away with the running game. Uh, So it had to kill him to see the Panthers do that to his team. Two ways to look at this game. One, as as much as I just painted a pretty gloomy picture, turnovers were the difference in this game. Seahawks didn't take the ball away. They gave it away twice early. It led directly to to points. They were minus two for the game. Ends up being a six-point differential. That's one way to look at it. The other way to build off what I was just saying, there are some glaring weaknesses on this roster that cannot be fixed right now that you have to live with and try and overcome. So where does that leave us, right? Is this the garbage team that Twitter tried to convince me today shouldn't even play the rest of their schedule? Or is it the team that just a few days ago, Bill and Keith and Dana and I were talking about can still make the playoffs this year? um their playoff chances uh drop significantly if the if the playoffs started today they're they're back out of the playoffs the commanders would be in uh 538.com still puts their playoff chances at 55% if they lose Thursday night to San Francisco that drops down to 33% if they lose to San Francisco and at Kansas City reasonable to expect to drop to 7 and 8 at that point their chances drop down to about 21% um, here's where it gets tricky. When you look at the rest of the schedule, not as easy as it may have looked a month ago when this team was playing well. Five, six weeks ago when this team was playing well. If you thought that Jimmy Garoppolo being out for the season was going to make the 49ers vulnerable, think again. They roll over Tampa Bay today. 35-7. to Brock Purdy is not putting up big numbers. He's <laughs> Oh, there's going to be so many puns. He's putting up Purdy numbers, isn't he? Um, he looks like the ideal game manager type quarterback to run Kyle Shanahan's system around Christian McCaffrey. They're going to run the football. That's what they do best. And he's he's been moving the football around. He's been accurate. He's been getting it around to his weapons. And they roll the Buccaneers today. However, 49ers suffered a big loss today. Debo Samuel appeared, uh, got injured on what appears to be a very significant ankle injury. Uh, he was carted off the field. He looked in excruciating pain and uh, uh, was very emotional. Um, uh, they, they said it was an ankle, not a knee. Haven't heard it definitively if it's a fracture yet or just a severe high ankle sprain, but in either case... Um, It appears to be the type of uh, injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the year. Certainly, he's not going to play Thursday. And he was becoming a big factor again. He got them started in this game. uh, And then Christian McCaffrey got him rolling from there. Uh, So the Seahawks will not be facing Debo Samuel. And the 49ers in a short week are going to have to adjust their offense. Um, But still, do you feel like there's a chance to win that football game on Thursday? Right? I mean, it doesn't feel like it to me. And I'm the eternal optimist. But as I said at the top of the show, this is the NFL. And it seems like it'd be a tough game to win, barring being on the other end of what happened today. You get a couple of turnovers early. Maybe the moment's too big for Brock Purdy. He's asked to do too much because now Debo Samuel's out of the game plan. That crowd's going crazy on Thursday Night Football into the spotlight. Maybe he makes a couple of mistakes. Seahawks get up early. Maybe Ken Walker's ready to come back and he gives the team a spark in the running game Thursday. Anything can happen, of course, but sure doesn't feel like a game you can expect to win. Then you go to Kansas City. And Kansas City might be the best team in the AFC. Um, Although they had a little bit of a scare today. They were up huge over Denver, and that ended up being a six-point game, I think. More on that in a minute. But still, at Kansas City, realistically, aren't we looking at seven and eight two weeks from now? And then you get the Jets at home, and I don't know what to think about them. Outstanding defense. They lost 20-12 to to the Bills today. Uh, Mike White came back to earth a little bit, just like he did last year. He had the great first game when he played last year. Everybody got on the Mike White bandwagon, pick him up in fantasy, and then he crashed down to earth. He had a very pedestrian game, threw the ball like 47 times today, uh, barely had 200 yards, no touchdowns. They lose to the Bills. I don't know what to think of them offensively. They don't really have a bell cow running back. So maybe that's a team you can, you can match up with a little bit better on offense. Optimistically, let's say that's a win and that gets you to eight and eight with the Rams coming to town. Are you still in the playoff hunt by then or not? Who knows? And then it's that same Rams team we just faced last week that even though they're depleted and a bunch of their stars are out, took us to the wire and Gino had to leave that late drive to beat him. So, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be favored to win in any of those games. I don't know how many of those you can optimistically expect them to win now. Things look a lot more bleak than they did just a few weeks ago. Remember what I said coming out of the bye week? I thought I saw 10 wins. I thought I saw 10 wins. But that was Raiders and Panthers being included in that. Um, And those are two games I'd I'd still, I would stand here and say that they should have won. They should be in nine wins right now. And now you're just hunting for one more probably in those last four to get into the playoffs. And you're playing for the division title on Thursday. Now you're not. They can win Thursday and not be tied. They'll still be a game behind the Niners. That's how big today's loss was. Uh, It takes a lot of the shine off of Thursday night. Now they're they're just playing for a wild card. Um, It's tough. It's tough. And, and as I mentioned, to get swept by the NFC South is just one of the weird, weird things of this year. All right, let's go to the, the fun part of this because remember, go and remember like you're going to forget coming into this season. It was all about 2023, right? Dana always likes to say 2022 is about 2023. Well, as the playoffs appear to be slipping away, maybe we're back there again. Denver loses again. 34 to 28 to Kansas City. As I mentioned earlier, Kansas City was up big in this one. I think it was 28 nothing at one point. Denver rallied, came back. Russell Wilson threw three touchdowns, ran the football for 67 yards, I think. Almost rallied them back. However, side note, uh Russell took a big hit. Uh his head was driven into the turf late in the game. Um, He looked like he lost consciousness. Um, uh, They had to help him to his feet and he's being evaluated. He's in the concussion protocol right now. Let's, uh, you know, for all that's been said this year about Russell and and his history here and everything that went down uh, in the last 12 months with him, uh, let's hope he's okay. But Denver loses again. That is their ninth loss in the last 10 games and their fifth straight. Uh, So if the season ended today, the Seattle Seahawks would hold the second pick in the NFL draft. They would also hold the 18th pick in the draft thanks to their recent swoon. So two and 18. So if you think the sky is falling and the defense is terrible, do you feel a little bit better about the fact you have the second pick in the draft? Because here's the thing, you're not going to catch the Houston Texans. They still just have the one win, and even though they've they've been competitive at times, they were competitive against the Cowboys today. They would have to win three of their last four probably to lose that spot. Seahawks so have a really good chance to have the second pick in this draft, which guarantees you, I believe, your choice of all the defensive players because Houston for sure is going to take a quarterback, aren't they? They probably are. So just for fun, and we're going to do a week from tomorrow, kind of the the off, we're going to have the extended week next week after the Thursday night football game. Michael Thompson is going to join me on the show again. We're going to do a live full Seahawks mock draft. And we're going to work together to, to make their picks. But just for fun, I wanted to play around with 2-18 and 18 today. So this is some bonus content for you. This is free, free of charge, bonus content. I just did a quick little mock draft to see how two and 18 would look because the pro football network mock draft simulator immediately updates draft position. The other simulators take some time. They're already on it. So Houston takes Bryce young quarterback out of Alabama first overall. So I'm taking it. And and this will be an interesting debate because I know Michael Thompson, when he comes on the show, he's going to lobby for somebody else. I'm a Jalen Carter guy. I want that three technique defensive tackle out of Georgia. I think he's, Aaron Donald Light, I think he's a guy that changes the game up front. He can penetrate, he can fill a gap, he can get after the quarterback. And he's, he's so young, and he's still coming. He's not even near his ceiling. I think he's a potentially dominant franchise defensive tackle, and you get him. You like Will Anderson better? You and I might argue about that, but you can take him there. So if you want to envision Will Anderson in the same scenario, go right ahead. 18's a weird one, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming months. Eight, That range in the first round this year is going to be interesting because it doesn't matter which simulator I use, which big board I use. This looks like one of those years where you're going to hear a lot of teams say, well, we only had 15 first-round grades. That if you're in that 18 range, it doesn't really line up with players that are ranked around that area that fit what the Seahawks really need. There isn't an edge player at 18 that I love unless I want to go down into the 30s and 40s in the rankings and reach for a guy, which wouldn't put it past the Seahawks to do that, right? Um, But the players that are ranked around that range are there's some offensive tackles. There's some receivers, which would be tempting. And there's some corners. And while a lot of you might think, hey, we got Wollen on one side. Mike Jackson's played really well. Dre Brown just came back. Trey Brown just came back from injury. He looks good. Kobe Bryant might shift back to the outside if they get a nickel corner. Um, I think it's really good value. If you can get a guy there at 18, and I took Joey Porter Jr. out of, out of Penn State, looks like a prototypical Seahawk corner. 6'2", rangy, quick, can turn his hips. I like what the Panthers are building with Henderson and Horn. And my thought process is, if you can get a second guy, I know, I know, I know, the Seahawks never draft a corner this high, but how many opportunities have they had? Exactly. If you can get two young, long, locked down elite corners, maybe that allows you to play more man and do some things scheme-wise to match up better with some of these teams and not have to sell out to stop the run. So I went porter at 18. I just thought that was good value. If we're talking a real mock draft, I'm probably looking to trade down there. And then at the top of the second round, I get my edge. Felix uh I'm gonna I'm gonna have to learn how to pronounce this name over the next couple of months. Um Anudike Uzoma, uh, out of Kansas State. Watched him in their conference championship game. Um, I think he has the, um, well, Michael Thompson said he has the highest motor of any edge in this class. Uh, he's a guy that's strong enough to stand up to the run, but you can also dip and bend and get around the edge he has a quick get off. I think he'd be an ideal edge. And I think he'd present more to you than Boye a presents. And then, uh, with my second pick in the second round, uh, that other, um, Well, no, the the 34 was the the other Denver pick. At 49, I'm taking Dan Henley out of Washington State. There's some other linebackers there, um, but I've watched Henley a lot because he's transferred, played at Wazoo this year, and I think he's exactly what Cody Barton isn't, and it's exactly what the Seahawks need. He's a guy that can play the run, but he can also cover, and he can get after the passer. He can go sideline to sideline. He's explosively quick. He's an experienced player, and um, I had to reach for him in this simulator because he's ranked way too low. I think he's going to end up being a day two guy for sure. Um, so that was just a little bonus content, little mock draft there for you just to maybe look ahead, maybe wash this one away, just flush today. And uh, you know what? It's it's the NFL. It's football. It's Thursday night football. It's the It's the 49ers. It's under the lights. It's supposed to be as good a weather as you can ever expect here in Seattle in December. High of 40, 42 degrees, mostly sunny. It's going to be cold. It's going to be clear. Weather's not going to affect the game at all. And who knows? We'll we'll keep an eye this week on whether Ken Walker can come back. That could be a big key. And then obviously we're awaiting news of Debo Samuel uh, and his health. But uh, he's not going to play Thursday. He's out for the year. In fact, as I stop this podcast tonight and go back and check the updates. Uh, Maybe that news has even um, come out. Uh, Unfortunate for them. He's a fun player. You never like to see a team come in at less than full strength. I I don't anyway. I like to play teams. If you're going to beat the best, if you're going to be the best, beat the best, I'd rather beat a team at their best. I don't like hoping for injuries and hoping a team's going to be decimated coming in. Um, But I'll tell you what, up until two weeks ago, I might have had some confidence that the Seahawks would find a way to match up with the 49ers but there's something about how they're playing in the last two weeks with Brock Purdy something that he's doing to make the offense more effective than it was when Jimmy was there so it'll be interesting to watch that up close and certainly it'll be a lot of fun to to get into that atmosphere it's always fun on Thursday Night Football win or lose guys let's keep let's keep some perspective on what this season was supposed to be and what it is we know so much more about this roster than we did at the beginning of the season. And what we know about this roster gives us a lot of clarity on what could happen in 2023. And I'll stand by my statement that I made on the show, the round table a couple of days ago, another offseason this year, like the Seahawks had last off season, another good draft and a couple of shrewd free agent signings and take care of the quarterback position. And uh, we're going to see a much, much, much better football team next year, capable of some good things. So Tough day today, 30-24, to 24, the loss to the Panthers. Deal's a huge blow to the Seahawks' playoff chances, but uh, it's not over yet. Don't give up hope. There's still a 55% chance. <laughs> Let's look on the bright side, shall we? Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate, review, share it, please. Uh, we love anything you can do to help support us. Follow me on Twitter, at SeahawksForever. I'll be back in uh, tomorrow with a uh, preview in... Um, in earnest, of the uh, Seahawks and 49ers coming up quick on Thursday Night Football. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Vienz. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Read the website. There's probably a ton of great stuff up there already breaking down everything you ever wanted to know about this game and maybe some things you don't want to know. That's what I love about those guys over there. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.